0: So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. So are
1: these your notes?
0: These... Are
1: these your notes about what we're going to say? Um, <laughs> anything. Just it. yeah, a short answer. <laughs> <laughs> so how many novels did you not finish? Oh my Probably. God, so many. <laughs> 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 it was perfect. What's she talking about? This is not a... Ooh, a
0: spicy question. I love it.
1: <laughs> this is it, guys. The big secret to getting published is <laughs> you have to write a good book. <laughs> i <laughs> was... had it here first. <laughs> we're going say... <laughs> to Hello and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. I'm Jamie and joining me today is Megan Carroll, literary agent at Watson Little. Hi Megan, welcome to the show.
0: Hello, hi. Thank you for having me.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. How's uh how's it going?
0: It's not too bad. It's uh it's a very busy time in the publishing calendar mm-hmm. at the moment, so full on.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, but good? Positive. Yeah.
1: Busy's good, busy's good. Let's um Let's talk about your your journey in publishing. What was your path to becoming a literary agent? Where did it begin?
0: Um, well, uh, in truth, I didn't know what literary agents were mm-hmm. at all uh, when I was at university doing English, obviously, as so as many of us <laughs> did. Yeah. Um, I didn't know anything about literary agents. I I mean, looking back, I probably should have assumed that there was some type of role that was selling these books to publishers. I don't know what I thought was going on,
1: Yeah, um, yeah. but
0: I, I didn't really know anything about it at all. And I kind of had, I had a sense that I wanted to work in publishing, but I was relatively open about what role that might be. And mm-hmm. um, after graduating, I applied for a lot of jobs and was unsuccessful in many. Um, and I <laughs> spotted a work experience placement at Watson Little and I, I kind of applied in a sort of blind desperation for any kind of role, not really knowing what I was getting myself into. Hmm. Um, and then I kind of just stayed there <laughs> for since <laughs> that time. And I okay. didn't leave. Oh, okay. I, I Well, I had a brief three months at another literary agency um, to kind of confirm what I thought I already knew, which was that this maybe was the option for me. And then I came back and I've been there ever since.
1: Oh, uh, okay. That was Caroline Sheldon, your, your brief.
0: Yes. Yeah, brief. it was. Yeah
1: okay so you never thought about was it the sort of writing was that something that kind of drew you towards working in publishing or did you just want to work in the industry
0: i just wanted to work in the industry i mean i'm i'm not a writer
1: okay i'm I'm useless (laughs)
0: writer. there'll never be an announcement in the bookseller about a book that i've secretly written and sold for for any money i'm writing is not really my thing reading Mm. always was and i kind of thought is there a way to do a job that I will hopefully, fingers crossed on the whole, enjoy.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and it was kind of just that. And I thought about editorial um, and I thought about marketing, you know, loads of different parts of publishing, really, yeah, literary yeah. agencies was not on my agenda. Um, but yeah, I know I wanted to be in the industry, not as a writer, but sort of as a facilitator of, of writers, perhaps.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you do do, I mean, as the the role of an agent now involves, for the most part, editorial as well
0: it does yeah
1: yeah and you do Do you also do editorial outside of your work as an agent as a freelance thing
0: uh sometimes I do yeah and I mean I less so depending on how busy I am sure um with <laughs> with the agenting side of things mm-hmm. but it is it's one of those skills that I think you need to continually um train it's like a muscle I think and you need to keep yourself in that mindset and each project is edited kind of really differently. So I, yeah. I like to keep my toe in there. Oh, okay. Either through my sort of full-time role or, or in other ways.
1: I get that because it, editing feels like, even though you need to give space between each book, everything you work on, it, yeah, it feels like something that you would be rusty at if you didn't do it for very long.
0: Yeah, I think it would, it would feel like quite a, a task to get your head back around what a big edit looks like if you yeah. were separating that out by a long time i mean there's so rarely a long time between them but <laughs> but sometimes occasionally as, as rare it is there is
1: yeah so going back to your path which is quite neat uh through, through publishing, it's it's really what's and little and then you you dipped a toe somewhere else then went back to what's and little mm. you started out as an intern then you became an assistant and then you became a literary agent how many sort of how many years was it? How long do you work sort of in the industry before you reach a point where you can become a agent?
0: I well for me, I started in two thousand fourteen at mm-hmm. Watson Little, and I think it was two thousand eighteen, maybe that I was made an associate. Um, but I was okay. doing associate esque tasks sooner than that. I think publishing is a bit of a not bad for that kind of thing, but I think it's just kind of happens that you are working ahead of the job that you have perhaps and for a couple of months before you kind of get it. So it was a, it was maybe three and a half years or so and then I'm starting to take people on. Then became an associate for uh for two years, I think, two or three years. Now I forget what what years it's been. I mean the last two felt <laughs> like all, a very off. <laughs> um and then yeah, full time agenting from from I think September twenty twenty. Okay. Um, as just a full time agent, and and just doing right. that all the time.
1: Yeah, that and that's not the first time I've heard that because it's it's the, as you could sort of progress through the the life cycle of publishing. It is often assistant going into agent, but the assistant, as you say, it's there's a sort of blurred line where you became an agent like as an assistant, but before you were officially an agent.
0: Yeah, definitely, and I think as in that sort of interim where you're associate agent, I think it's probably the hardest you work in the whole process hmm. because you are just balancing two jobs and you don't want yeah. either to slip. You know, you're really consciously wanting to move ahead um, but not wanting to do that in a way that means, you know, the, the other tasks that you're needing to do and all the other things that are really important are getting sort of left by the wayside. So those couple of years where I was an associate were probably the most Full on. I say that now, and I now it's going to get. I'm going <laughs> to tempt fate now, and it's going. I'm going to have the busiest year of my life.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, from what I've gathered from the outside looking in, being a literary agent is more than a full time job in many ways.
0: Yeah, it is. Someone should have told me that in the beginning. Maybe that would have been <laughs> useful information to know early doors.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. Because it's easy to forget for um, writers and people submitting that you reading scripts and uh, manuscripts and things to as prospective new clients that is sort of not the the core of your role your the core of your role is to look after the clients you already have
0: definitely yeah um yeah yeah, you need to prioritize different things and taking on new authors is not always very high on that priority list depending on you know all the other things that are going on um Mm -hmm. but yeah your clients are the priority and i think that's that needs to be the case otherwise why would anyone new want to be on your list if you weren't prioritizing (laughs) your clients you you don't want to get them in the door and then think oh I've done my I've done my job now I've got you on list now I can find someone else
1: yeah (laughs) move on to the next
0: new thing (laughs) um but yeah it's a lot of a lot of prioritizing um your existing clients which is you know what what we're doing it for we want to work with those people and and get the best for them um yeah but yeah it is it is more than a a nine to five because it's really difficult to switch off I've found and the longer I do it I, every time I read anything in the newspaper or I see something on the news or see something online I think oh could that be a book and I think maybe switch <laughs> please switch that off please just enjoy scrolling mindlessly on social media like other people can but I'm just <laughs> constantly thinking could that be a book could that be something should yeah. I email that person
1: yeah 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 I get that just, just, you, just listening to music or you watch, uh, watching something on television and you're like, Oh, what if this was slightly different? And then that was a whole other story.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's really difficult to switch that part of your brain off.
1: So are you, you, you mentioned that writing's not for you, but but you do do editorial.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Are you quite hands on with your clients in terms of the editorial?
0: It depends. It depends what they need, but yes. Okay. Um, I can be. If, if something needs, you know, a couple of goes before we send it out to editors, then I'm very happy to do that. Um, I try not to do too much and get them kind of quite fatigued by the whole experience because it yeah. will be happening when we sell that book again. You know, they're going to go through another few rounds. They're going to have another opinion. And I try to gauge when is the time where they feel happy and confident about it, but there's still some – gas in the tank for them to go a little bit further with somebody in the next round and um, so it's oh, quite okay. a delicate balance into you don't want to go too far and sort of have them go look if you sell this book i just want you to know i i now hate it and i'd like to never look <laughs> at it again that's you've gone too far if we're there yeah,
1: yeah scale yeah. it back that that's zadie smith right zadie smith hates her old books
0: i can see how people do <laughs> i really can
1: yeah yeah, because
0: yeah, yeah. you by the time it comes out, the amount of times the author has read that book is just so many. You know, it's countless. It's mm. more than I think you'd ever think. And you don't you don't get to a point as well where you think, okay, it's word perfect, I don't want to change anything. That instinct is still there. You'll still look at it and go, Oh no, I hate that bit. And oh, I wish I'd yeah. changed that. And all oh, that word's in the wrong place. So I can see why they just authors just need to be like, I can't, I need to leave that book now. I can't. I just can't look at it again. I need to just pretend like it didn't happen and move on. I mean, I'm sure not all of them feel that way.
1: <laughs> I was actually talking to a couple of my friends yesterday who uh, both of them have one book out and they they were saying that um, one of them said that she had never read her own book like as in its book form because she's too terrified that there would be something wrong or something that should have been changed or there's just literally just a typo or something.
0: Yeah, I can believe that. I can believe that. It must because it's too late then, and you just think, "Yeah, oh God. exactly,
1: yeah." And you've read, you've already read it a thousand times, yeah. So,
0: and you probably yeah. don't even see the typos because you know what word should be there. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And other people and then, point, other point people them, them out, point out them in Amazon them. reviews, yeah.
0: really helpfully, and you think, "I don't need to know that." Thank you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. If you find a typo, don't tag the author don't and tell the them author. that there's a typo. There's nothing they can do about it.
0: No, and it's so it will play on their mind forever Mm -hmm. just just leave them in blissful ignorance of any typos (laughs) if anything let the editors know let the publishing house know so they can change it in a reprint but goodness don't tell the author
1: yeah exactly tag the publishers in it (laughs) they probably won't do anything about it but they might (laughs) um let's move on to uh submissions this Mm -hmm. is something i always like to ask um agents when when they come on the show the submission package Watson Little is um, pretty in line with industry standard. It's the cover letter, the synopsis, 10,000 words for fiction, and then nonfiction is the usual details and, and sample stuff. When you receive a submission, what order do you go through it and where do you attribute the most weight?
0: So I will read the cover letter first. Uh Um, to sort of assess, first, if it's something I'm looking for. I mean, as as much of information as we put on the website as to what we're looking for, some people still just think, I know you haven't asked for X, Y, Z, but I thought my book (laughs) might be the thing that tips you over the edge. Um, So I read the cover letter first, one, to get a sense of if it's something I want to look for and if it's something I'm keen to see. Mm -hmm. And then two, to get a sense of, okay, what is it? What book is it you're pitching? And if it's like, this is a romance, this is the... You know, these are the characters or this is a YA fantasy. Get a sense of okay, what book is it that they're about to deliver to me, and then I go onto the sample chapters and think, okay, are they delivering what they what they promised? Are they are they giving me what they've pitched? And then if I get to the end of the sample chapters and I like it, if I really, really like it, then I don't look at the synopsis because oh. I want I just want to read. spoiler free kind of reading of the full manuscript if i'm sort of i like it but i'm i'm not sure how it's where it's going and i just want to check you know what what the end story might sort of pan out as then i'll look at the synopsis um but the synopsis always last always always last
1: okay are there any sort of really great things that you like to see in a cover letter that really sort of help you gauge where this submission is going
0: i really like comp titles comparison titles and i think uh-huh. and i say titles but they can really be anything i mean i've a lot more people in recent years have been using tv series and movies um you know all sorts of different types of storytelling to to compare and to sort of place it somewhere in a wider readership and i they're really useful they're always useful um they're not as useful when you sort of say, oh, this is George Orwell meets, you know, something else that's been out for years and years. And you think, I, doubt, I highly doubt that it is any of those things, but also <laughs> give me something slightly more recent, you know, something that people have bought in the last couple of years, maybe, and that's on the shelves now. Um, but sure. cop titles are always really useful. And it's sort of as boring as it is, like a short, lucky pitch. But but mm. that's really only when it's a genre. You know, it's a is it a crime? Is it a th- is it a romance? Is it something really clean cut that's going to fit into a genre in the way that you'd expect? You know, yeah. with a romance, the two people have to get together. If they're not doing that, then you're not delivering what I, what I think <laughs> I want from this. Um, okay, yeah. So a pitch, yeah, that's kind of important. I mean, I the cover letters that come through to our submissions are also different that you kind of, as an agent, you just have to kind of think... I've got to take each one as it is. You know, the information that this author is telling me is is important to them. Let me see what I can get out of this cover letter. I don't really mind if it's there's loads of different elements to it, or you've added extra information, or you've not, maybe if you haven't put in comp titles, that's fine. But I just kind of look for what is this book about? You know, what is who are the characters? What is the reason why I should care about them or want to read more and that I suppose that tends to come through in the pitch or an interesting Mm -hmm. comparison I mean the best comparisons are ones that are like really insane books that are not at all alike (laughs) or like a really random film meets a book and you think what how those always make me read on when I'm like what
1: yeah yeah I get yeah because you're like I don't see how this could work yeah but but I want want it yeah I want it (laughs) to work
0: please show me how
1: Yeah. yeah 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 Um, so would do you think that when people do put comparisons in the cover letters, would you sort of say, be careful when talking about older works, like if you're doing sort of classics like George Orwell or, or, or something like that?
0: I think so. I mean, those kind of classic books, what is it that they're really saying about your story? Um, because mm. they're so of their own type, you know, they're not, what is it about that book that you are using as your comparison? Is it that it's dystopian, in which case use something more recent? You know, is it some kind of character thing? Is it a style thing? If it's so difficult for us to gauge, what is it yeah. about, you know, this D.H. Lawrence book that you're telling me this book is about? I mean, I can't get anything from that. They're not – they're so out of the realm of, of – genre in a specific sense you know the classics kind of become classics kind of becomes the genre that they're in and it's hard to kind of get anything from them they're not very useful as comparisons
1: yeah I guess the other issue is and the further back you go the worse this will will be is that all of the let's let's stick with George Orwell 1984 Mm -hmm. like so many huge books have already sort of been derived from that so now like you're referencing something, but there's already been tons of, tons of books that are referencing that one thing. Do you think that's kind of a big issue with doing classics as well?
0: Yeah, I think that that's, that's definitely part of it. And it's with comparison titles and using those, like I was inspired by XYZ or this is for readers of, and you list your authors. Um, yeah. who is the readership of George Orwell's book? <laughs> who is that? I couldn't. Tell that's you, everyone is, yeah. It? <laughs> I mean, that's everyone that went to school or was kind of coerced into reading a George Orwell. I yeah, mean, yeah, George, Orwell George Orwell is great, but it's it's difficult for us to gauge. Okay, where do you see this? Who do you see this being sold to? I mean, mm-hmm. George, it's really very hard to pin down who buys classic books as a just as a reader, and not because. Yeah. Maybe they feel like they should have read it at school or they. everyone's talking about this book they've never read and they have a bit of a guilt pile. I mean, I've got a guilt pile of classic books I've not read and it's very oh, big. Me
1: too, me too. <laughs> I
0: shan't reveal any of them. But it's it's difficult to gauge who they see at the end of the the line of, you know, between us and between a bookseller and a bookshop. You know, mm-hmm. George Orwell is just not a very easy indication as to where you feel like that book is being placed in someone's hand at the end. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I guess one way you could look at it, it's a bit sort of um, corporate is to say, you know, what is the brand? And then you look at someone like George Orwell or, you know, go even crazy with it, say Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. It's like, but what is Shakespeare's brand? So like if you're comparing yourself to that, what does that mean for a brand? Whereas you can take a modern author like Stephen King and it's quite clear what his brand is, who his readership is, where the books are being sold this that the other
0: yeah exactly and you can and you can use big names i mean there's there's no mm-hmm. problem with using big names um like Stephen king but it does the issue with it is that then you're putting yourself directly in contrast yeah to someone yeah. of that vein which is difficult for then when that agent reads your sample material if the only names you've given them to consider in line with yours is you know people like Stephen king it's going to be difficult for you to be Stephen King in that moment sure. unless you are amazing which, unless I found the next Stephen King which yes, I'd be delighted <laughs> and I'd be just thrilled about it um but just put yourself in line with people where you know you want to make your sample material look incredible and look like it's it is really hitting those spots and it is going to be for fans of these readers and that's not to say that you know Stephen King is is miles better than someone with the one debut book that you use a com- as a comparison but He's such a juggernaut. It's, he's, he's, you know, he's gone beyond, you know, he is a brand, as you say, it's, it's Mm -hmm. such a big thing to kind of compare yourself to. Um, Yeah. So it's difficult to kind of put that into context when we're trying to look at a submission and judge, okay, who will buy this?
1: Yeah. 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 So with, yeah. So basically with comparisons, think about what you're doing. Don't go too big. Don't go too old. Um, Give it some, give it some good thought. I wonder if we could, uh, going back to the, the the submission bit at first, mm-hmm. I wonder if you could shed some light on something for me. Uh, why is it that, and it's a pretty standard throughout the industry, why is it that in the submission package most agencies ask for 10,000 words and for fiction and not simply the full manuscript?
0: That's a good question. And... I some, When I'm enjoying a manuscript, I think, oh, God, I wish I didn't have to then request and wait for the rest of this because I could then just yeah. read as my heart desires. But I think purely on a logistical standpoint, 10,000 – if the expectation is that we'll read 10,000, it's just a lot easier for us to, mm-hmm. to get through those submissions um, and
2: make – those decisions slightly Before Shopify were you wondering where are my sales at Now you're selling with Shopify the global commerce platform supercharging your selling you have no problem selling online in person on social media and beyond Gary easy on the ching <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. I mean, we get so many
0: submissions. Um, we, I was talking to my assistant the other day, and she she thinks we've had about 200 a week since the start of this year, which is
1: kind of it's a lot of insane. reading insane
0: <laughs> and i think if the expectation there was that you you could send your full i think people would expect and want a lot more feedback than we maybe have time to offer and sure it would be difficult for us to kind of manage our time into into reading all those things because the, there are a lot of submissions that we'll read and we we'll think yeah this is you know this first 10,000 is good you know it's, and we'll be umming and ahring, and you know, some decision will be made whether we request that full or we don't request that full, based on lots of different things. Yeah. And I think if we had loads of falls, I mean, the guilt I have when I have fools that like I know I've been late on is so large that if I had that for every submission we receive, I don't think I'd ever sleep or get anything done because I would yeah. just be so. I mean, you it's hard enough sort of saying no to someone with ten thousand words. I think I'd find it even more difficult to to reason no, if they'd sent me the full. So I think, I mean, I don't know who started it, this sort of standard, this is this is what you send.
1: I was talking to Joe Malt mm-hmm. from Skylark and at Skylark, they just asked for the full straight oh, up.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. And I so I said to her, I was like, oh, well, that's not in line with the standards. So what, why is it that way? And she said, well, it just cuts out lots of steps. And in the end, we read as much as we need to. So as long as you, I guess, as long as you, the, the worry is that if you you say 10,000, you're sort of making a promise and you're like, I'm going to read this 10,000 words, but realistically, you don't need to read a full manuscript to know if that's not going to work with, you know, how your list or, or, or whatever it is. Yeah. So I just thought it was interesting. Um, and she thought that the reason that it exists and it is the standard, which makes all the sense in the world is that before we did everything on email, it was just, Blocks of paper, right? So ten thousand is a reasonable wedge of paper to deal with in the post, I guess.
0: I thinking about it, yeah. It used to be post. We only—I say recently. I mean, it was several years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Recently, we a few years ago. I remember us putting on the website that we were not accepting in post submissions anymore. And I Mm -hmm. didn't really at the time. So I started in two thousand and fourteen. So it wasn't—it wasn't like we were receiving loads, but. God, yeah, I mean, Watson was 50 years old, so there must have been a time when they were receiving that volume of submissions physically. And I suppose, yeah, by not asking for the full, you're at least cutting down the amount of posts you're receiving by just having 10,000 words.
1: Or, like, just being able to fit it through the post box. Yeah, I guess, just, 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 <laughs> it must
0: be a nightmare.
1: Yeah, yeah. But she she was saying that they loved, she loves that because if she it kind of as you said it kind of skips a step mm. when you when you read the ten thousand words and then you're like oh now we have to request the rest and that's like a day or two before you'll get that yeah
0: and you kind of lose that momentum um mm-hmm. not always and obviously you can get it back i mean part of our job is to read things a million times and still have the same amount of enthusiasm for it every time but there are times where i've emailed for a full and maybe the author's on holiday or something like that and i get in, out of office and i think oh god i've got to wait for however many <laughs> days and i just keep sort of checking my emails obsessively which must be yeah. exactly what they're doing on their yeah. end when I, when they're sending out a submission so maybe that's good yeah. that we get the taste of our own medicine
1: yeah okay well that's yeah, it's interesting um interesting to hear your career uh publishing as an industry do you have any advice for publishing hopefuls people to people looking to start a career in in that world
0: to sort of get in, to sort of get yourself in there. Yeah, foot in the door. <sighs> I mean, it's tricky. It's very tricky because there's so many people wanting to work in publishing. And I think mm. it's it's changing somewhat. But there was a, a very long time where it was very London-centric. And so geographically, there was a bit of a barrier to getting in, um, which yeah. I think is is changing now. I would say we recently interviewed for an assistant, actually, What's Watson and I'd say... The best thing to do is to kind of really immerse yourself in the industry. Just get, you know, get your hands on the bookseller, read yeah. those articles online, get a sense of what is going on and what the state of play is as, as best you can. You know, we saw a lot of people that had interned at loads of places that hadn't really done any of that and it was it comes down to sort of a, a passion for what you want to do and as as sort of boring as that sounds just really really love it and and show that and I think on a logistical level there's so many different things to join sort of Society of Young Publishers and there's loads of different um, groups and forums that you can be a part of and there's a huge Facebook Publishing Hopefuls Facebook group which obviously I can't join and snoop in because (laughs) I would know that i was a Publishing Hopeful but There's loads of different groups that are offering that kind of thing. I mean, it is difficult and it's become even more so in the last two years because all the normal programmes that all of our companies would be running, work experience, internships, were just not prioritised during the pandemic, um, which is a real shame uh, because we were all adjusting to working from home and then to then kind of prioritise sorting out how an intern might work from home and never meet us just didn't. I don't think it was high on people's lists of things to to do. And many, many places did and are are doing them now. Um, but it's, I think, just keep banging on lots of doors and maybe think about other routes in, you know, as I did, however many years ago, not really knowing what agenting was. Think about different routes in. I think editorial is, is going to be hard. I mean, it just is. Yeah. Everyone wants a bit of editorial, although I did not, so maybe there's a lot more of me out there. Um, and I think think about marketing, think about sales, think about rights, you know, all of these are really useful skills in mm-hmm. any part of publishing. You know, it's always useful to know how another department operates
1: yeah I'm and not
0: definitely... speaking from experience obviously I don't <laughs> know how anyone's doing anything outside of agenting but that I'd say that's a really good way to kind of get in just by maybe something that you hadn't planned on
1: yeah that makes sense and other people I've spoken to have said that similar things first of all on you've, you've got to immerse yourself and just try and get as much experience doing as much as you can meeting as many people as you can but also just just sort of have a look in don't be too picky. You can always sort of move around once you're sort of inside. Mm. It's much easier to to go laterally once you're in the door.
0: Definitely, yeah. And I think reach out to people and ask them for, ask them for a chat.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean,
0: you might not get everyone come back to you. But when I was starting out, um, Donald Winchester, who I work with now, said to me, oh, you know, just to reach out to people and ask them for a coffee, ask them for a chat. You know, it wasn't long ago that they were in the same position as you. Yeah. You know, you'll find, you might find that some of them don't have time, but you'll find that, you know, there's a lot of them that will, will meet you or have a phone call or something. Um, and I did just that and I spoke to a fair few people and I try to do that now, um, be open to people sort of sliding into the DMs and asking me questions <laughs> and sort of try to be quite visual and quite open and quite yeah. transparent um, and reachable. Um, for all sorts of people not just authors but also people wanting to get in because it can feel a bit like a impenetrable fortress where it just you kind of think you understand how publishing works but then something happens and you think oh no maybe I don't at all and I think from an outside perspective there's so much that maybe isn't clear we need to all be better at making that clearer for publishing hopefuls I think. I think the general gist would be just reach out, reach out to people, speak to yeah. people, slide into people's DMs, mine included, they are always <laughs> open, and just knock on a lot of people's doors and ask them for advice. I mean, if you're feeling bullish, favours. Can I come mm-hmm. in? Can I have 10 minutes of your time? Can I get a coffee? I try to never say no to those kinds of requests with within reason. <laughs> and it's so easy now to zoom. I think I've zoomed yeah. a very few people wanting to get into publishing in the past two years.
1: Oh, great! And it's quite great. fun
0: to it's quite fun as well to think of your job in terms of explaining it to somebody else, which I so rarely do. Obviously, why would I do that? That would be really strange. <laughs> but when someone's like, "What's a day to today look like for you?" and I think, "Oh God, what does a day to day look like for me?" Emails yeah. mostly, but it's quite it's quite fun to have those conversations. I think publishing people people in publishing generally need to get better at welcoming people in and trying to make everything very transparent and very clear and helpful.
1: Yeah, because it's the way that the industry has evolved and grown over the years is kind of bizarre. It's not really like any other industry. There's lots of sort of stages and, and loops and things. It can yeah. be confusing.
0: Very, yeah. If you're not sure what, how something works, I think it, it can be very sort of impenetrable industry. Um, to understand i mean it's it you seem like it seems like something you would it would be quite straightforward but as with any industry i suppose there's lots of little quirks
1: yes yeah yeah yeah. but people are as from from my experience people in publishing are very friendly and willing to help for the most part
0: i think so yeah i think that's true i definitely had that experience when i was starting out um people were very friendly um and even when i was sort of taking authors on at an assistant level or an associate level. I wasn't even quite an agent yet. The amount Mm. of authors that would, you know, give me the time of day when I'm sure that they could have (laughs) gone to someone who had that job title. Yeah. And then the amount of editors who would, you know, not see, oh, she's not been promoted yet, but still meet me for a, you know, a coffee or a meeting or, you know, include, include everyone in that kind of step up. Because I think everyone kind of knows what it was like for them. It wasn't that yeah. long ago for a lot of people, so I think
1: they keep that in mind, or I hope they do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, great advice in there uh, about the industry and uh, moving into it. So, y- are you currently open to submissions?
0: I am, yes. I am. You are,
1: okay. So March 2022, currently open to submissions. Are there any specific types of stories or, or characters that you're looking to add to your list this year?
0: Oh, so many. Um, I always have to, I think my eyes are being my well burning when it comes to looking for authors. I would love to find some more romance authors, um, mm-hmm. however that might be, however sort of upmarket to commercial that might be. Um, I'm just a sucker for a love story. And I think the industry is starting to <laughs> belatedly realise that romance authors are, quite good and that readers do really like romance books yeah (laughs) um on the kids side i'm always always looking for and i don't know why i haven't found this yet but i'm really looking for some like a funny female voice in middle grade you know kind of a bit back in when i was younger considerably younger there was georgia nicholson books and there was loads of just like funny jokey females in middle grade, and they're just—I haven't found something like that for a while, and I'd love to find that. Um, I like all sorts of creepy things as well. I'm really <laughs> looking for genre in YA. I think YA has gone through a bit of a renaissance recently. Maybe, maybe it hasn't. Maybe it's just me thinking. It has. I
1: think no, I agree. I think that's I've, from what I'm people I'm speaking to. It does feel like there's a renaissance happening.
0: Yeah, it just it used to be. Oh, is it? dystopian or does it have some supernatural element and that was kind of it that was the sea of YA was that was kind of it now it seems like dare I say it there are genres happening in YA in the much the same as adult fiction which there should have always been I mean teenagers are not that far from Mm. adult readers and adult readers read YA anyway so the whole thing is very cross crossing over all over the place but I'd love to find love stories in YA I'd love to find some horror I would really love to find some horror. Actually, I don't really get sent a great deal of YA horror, but I would love to find that. Uh-huh. I think I'm kind of open to all sorts, and I'll <laughs> it know like it, it. <laughs> when I see it. And people do comment, Megan. You really should maybe slim down this huge wish list. So I thought I've thought about it, but then I keep thinking, well, what will I? What would I get rid of? And I just can't bring myself to do it just yet. So I am open to lots of different things. From yeah. all ages and it's it will prove to be a problem i'm sure at one point um <laughs> but that point is not now she i
1: says, think you can get away with it because there's this kind of weird thing with ya where people sort of see ya as a genre whereas it's in theory it's a age bracket not a yeah. genre as you say like it's it's being broken into genres now so it, it kind of feels like you can as an agent say, I represent YA and in that you're you're kind of encompassing all genres, which is fun.
0: Yeah, I think it's that's very true. And I think the same is said for middle grade. I think it's mm-hmm. not yeah. one, it's not even a UK term, it's an American term. We don't even have middle yes. school here. No, we don't. <laughs> and I think I think they see middle grade as a genre as well. Is it middle grade or is it YA? And I think what do you what does that mean? What do you mean by that? Yeah. Which yeah, age group exactly. is it for? I've been quite clear on that, but I think they, it's, genre is, is, is breaking through. And I think that's, I think that's quite exciting and it's not just dystopian or fantasy, but those are great too. And I hope that they stay, but more is always great. More of everything, really.
1: Awesome. So to conclude, you would like more of everything?
0: More of everything. Yeah. I'm going to regret <laughs> saying that, aren't I? I that's me. More of everything. More of everything. Yeah. I would. It's, um, my list is too, is probably too big, not big as in too many people, but too, too wide, wide reaching.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, well, that's But cool. I quite
0: like changing, changing it up each day. One day I'll work on a nonfiction, one day I'll work on a kids book and another day I'll work on a horror for adults. I mean, it's quite fun doing it that way, I think.
1: Well, she says, <laughs> she says, oh, I mean, as they say, variety is the spice of life.
0: Well, so. indeed, exactly. And that's kind of, I've really taken that to heart. With yeah. building my list. It must, it must keep life. it exciting.
1: It does, doing yeah. Stuff. Full on, but yes,
0: exciting.
1: Yes. <laughs> um, brilliant. Well, I hope that's helpful for anyone looking to submit to you. Uh, and that brings us on to the final question, which, as always, is Megan, if you were stranded on a desert island with a single book, which book would you take?
0: Can't begin to tell you how much I hate this question. <laughs> And I'm sure every agent that you've spoken to has probably said that.
1: Uh, most of them, yeah. Yeah, I think I've I've given lots of agents sleepless nights. I,
0: about truly. And I've actually, I've asked so many people and they've really been not very helpful. <laughs> and I've thought about, i thought about trying to cheat and trying to get someone's entire collection. And my assistant, Kira, was like, you know, I don't think you can do that. That's not, that's not the game we're playing. People here.
1: are always trying to cheat. You can so tell me like, what it would be, and then, and then pick even one that, book even it. that
0: I could decide. <laughs> even that, I was like, oh, okay. I still don't know. I was like trying to make it easier for myself, but actually ended up being more difficult. I, part of me, the weird weird thing is that the one book that came into my head, and I think more because I think it would be funny to read it on a desert island, was *Lord of the Flies*. <laughs> and I thought that would be a fun yeah. book to read in that setting. It would be a very meta experience and quite odd, yeah. but also it's very short. So I don't know that that is maybe the option for me. It would take me about two hours to read and then I'd be like, and now what?
1: Yeah. now read it again.
0: And there you yeah, go. back again. I think I'd probably get quite a lot out of it, but maybe in a more what not to do on the desert island and what to do and then you'd be by
1: yourself as well so it wouldn't be that relatable it would
0: be it would be I think it would be a quite fun read in the in the night times particularly um (laughs) I then I thought okay what would I then I kind of went through there's loads of huge huge thick books I've never read and should I maybe pick one of those and then I thought no that's so boring what Mm. if I don't like them yeah and then I came back to kind of like classics and for like comfort it's probably going to be maybe a Jane Austen which is so boring but that probably <laughs> will be what I choose.
1: There's and a re- there's a reason that like Jane Austen is so kind of loved and just comfortable.
0: You yeah know, it's, it's I just think
1: great.
0: and I think she's, it's one of those she's one of those authors that I could if I wanted to read it as a straight love story one day I could yeah. do that but if I wanted to read it as a real satirical isn't the way the world works a disgrace you could read mm-hmm. it like that too and I think you yeah. could read it in really loads of different ways yeah so i was thinking about that but then i also then thought which one and then it, i went down a real rabbit hole of different <laughs> options and i was like oh is it going to be emma or is it going to be and prejudice or is it going to be sense and sensibility i think maybe or oh, maybe emma uh-huh
2: yeah maybe
0: I mean, I really just dislike this question, Jim. If you'd ask me <laughs> the next, and I think I'd have a different answer every single day.
1: Yeah. Oh, I feel the same way. Yeah, yeah. I'm always asking people, but like, if if anyone asked me, it's like, well, it depends on the week. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it depends <laughs> on the week. It depends on the mood.
1: Yeah, depends on what um, I've just read as well. A lot of times that yes. affects it.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. So it would either it would either be Emma or A Lot of the Flies, depending on my mood,
1: <laughs> which is quite okay. a combination uh, yeah. of books. An interesting range.
0: Yeah, I think so. <laughs>
1: That's great. Well, I like that. I like how thoroughly you thought about it. Um, I do, I'm still
0: thinking about it. I'm still not even Still thinking about answer.
1: it. You'll continue thinking about it for the <laughs> rest of time. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Megan, for coming on uh, the show and, and sharing your experience with me and everyone listening. It's been really great chatting with you.
0: Pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for
1: having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. And for anyone listening, if you want to keep up, with everything that Megan is doing, you can follow her on Twitter at Megan A. Carroll, and that's two R's and two L's. Or go to her website, megan-carroll.com. If you're thinking about submitting, head over to Watson Little's website for the the detailed submission guidelines, as well as their full list of agents. Um, And make sure that you do follow the guidelines because you wouldn't want to fall at the first hurdle. (laughs) Uh, To make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow us on Twitter at RightAndWrongUK or on Instagram at RightAndWrongPodcast. Thanks again to Megan and thank you to everyone listening. We'll catch you on the next episode.